Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. My name is Tim Clemens and it's a privilege of mine to open the scriptures with you. Before we jump in, let me uh, just give you a brief update as to where things are out with our campus plant. Um, if you're around last year, you might remember us talking about our desire to start a new campus in a new location at some point this year, ideally at four o'clock. Um, in terms of where things are up to, we had our hearts set on a particular building in Rockdale. Uh, some of you may have been aware of that. Um, things were looking pretty solid there for a, a long time. And then just towards the end of last year, we, we had a little bit of a snag and so a bit of a speed bump, if you like. We haven't fully ruled out that option, but there's now a question mark or two over it. Uh, there's another building that we're exploring in Brighton Sand, so not too far from Rockdale. So uh, again, we haven't yet pulled the trigger on that, but I guess in some ways this is just me letting you know where things are up to. Uh, naturally, it's always nice to say this is exactly what's happening, but uh, I'll just keep you informed as we know more information. And in terms of the launch date, we're looking probably most likely to be around uh, July, August. So that's what we're working towards. All right. Uh, but for now, let's jump in. And, and as we do, I guess I want to invite you this morning to consider your attitude and your approach towards this book. Uh, the Word of God, the Bible, uh, the Scriptures call it what you want. I want to consider your attitude and your approach to that book. Could be uh, that you're here this morning and you're just really still exploring things. And so you'd say, look, I don't really have much of a connection to this book. You know, maybe I heard some stories at school or vaguely familiar with it, but I don't really know too much about it. Uh, if that's you, wonderful, welcome. In some ways, today is a brilliant day to be here because we're going to see what the scriptures themselves suggest ought to be our attitude and approach towards them. So it's a great introduction. But if you've been around for a little while, uh, and particularly if you would describe yourself as someone who follows Jesus, then I expect you would say, I hold this book in a degree of high esteem. Right? Maybe you say it, it's the very words of God. Maybe you'd say, this is how I meet God. It's how I, I meet Jesus and build a relationship with him. Maybe you'd say, there is no more important book in the world than this one. Now, whether you use this specific word or not, maybe you would kind of resonate with the idea, how do I, what's my attitude towards it? I delight in it. I delight in the Bible. Well, uh, if you'd say that, then you're in good company because our psalm begins, verse 1 and 2, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Quick aside, when it says law of the Lord, I don't think we're supposed to interpret that as, you know, exclusively the commands, the do's and the don'ts. I think it really is shorthand for the whole of the scriptures, the whole of the Bible. And so I think, uh, take that as blessed is the one whose delight is in God's word. So again, could be you say, look, my attitude is one of delight. And so I think that's a good thing. You know, seems to set me up for blessing, praise the Lord. But what about your approach? Because your attitude is one thing. What about your approach? I guess the reason I ask it is because the psalm continues, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Is that your approach to God's word? Are you someone who meditates on it day and night? Now, we'll think about what it means to meditate on God's word. You know, just to be clear, it's not talking about kind of sitting on the Bible like in a pose, um, uh, Meditating on God's Word is, you know, thinking it through, reading it, repeating it, mulling it over. But is it how you treat it? Some of you will say yes, and again, praise the Lord. 
Others of you may be saying, no, you say, oh, no. is that my approach? Meditation? Probably not. No, the delight's there, but maybe the approach is not quite there. But, you know, half marks, that's all right, half the blessing. <laughs> here's the thing. I think verse 2, uh, we're supposed to see it as those two verses in parallel. No, blessed is the one, notice the repetition of the law, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. In other words, I think it's probably saying the same thing, just in slightly different ways, or, or maybe to, to tweak that slightly. I think it's suggesting that the person who delights in the law of the Lord is the person who meditates on it day and night. In other words, there's no half marks. Our attitude towards the Scripture determines our approach and our approach reflects our attitude. If we delight in it, then we will meditate on it day and night. If we don't, then we'll probably ignore it, scoff at it, reject it, maybe just leave it sitting on our bedside table getting dusty. Now, at this point, you might be saying, okay, what kind of blessing are we talking about? Because it keeps saying, blessed is the one. Like, what blessing is available to me if I delight in God's Word? What, what am I leaving on the table if I don't? Well, in some ways, that really is what Psalm 1 is all about. I say that because, in some ways, Psalm 1 is the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus saying about the two gates. You know that saying, you know, Jesus says, uh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many take it. But small is the gate, narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, I think Psalm 1 gives us the Old Testament equivalent of that. It's a very simple psalm. It's like six verses long. But it puts before us two ways. Two ways. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. And so it finishes, verse 6, with this line. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Two ways before us, the way of the righteous, which leads to blessing, the way of the wicked, which leads to destruction. And almost it presents us like a fork in the road, which, which way are you going to go? Though as we will see, a determining factor in which of the two roads we walk down will be our approach and our attitude towards this book. That's what we're going to see. And so I suppose if you're among us today, which I suspect is most of us, as someone who desires the Lord's blessing in their life, someone who desires to avoid the destruction of that's warned of in the psalm, then let me encourage you to pay close attention to the words of this psalm as we go through it together. In terms of how we're going to spend our time this morning, I just flag today will be a slightly different sermon, not radically different, but a little different, because we're mainly going to camp out in Psalm 1 in the first half of our time together. Uh, I'll spend a little bit of time just helping us to see the two images used for the two different kinds of people in the psalm. And I particularly want to notice the way that the righteous relate to the Word of God. So we'll do that kind of first. And then in our second half, I'm doing what I'm going to call double tapping on verse 2. The one we keep looking at, you know, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates. I want to double tap on that. Because I suspect even now, many of us know we're supposed to delight in it. We're supposed to meditate on it. My prayer this week is that we would leave, not just knowing that we should do it, but actually delighting in it. And actually excited to meditate on God's Word. That's the prayer. What God does is what God will do. But that's what I've been praying for. All right. 
So let's jump in. If you've got a psalm, uh, sorry, a Bible, always good to have Psalm 1 in front of you. And uh, let's like, take a look at the two images. Because one of the uh, striking features of the psalm are the two different images the psalmist uses to almost help us picture the two different kinds of people it describes, the righteous person and the wicked. And so we'll start with the righteous. Uh, we see this kind of, it comes into gear in verse 3, but we'll start at the beginning. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The psalmist says that the righteous person, like a tree, planted by a stream of water, bearing fruit in season. Right, Their leaves, they don't wither in the heat of the sun. Their trunk, it doesn't get blown over by the storms or the cyclones. It's, instead, it's strong and it's steadfast. This tree bears fruit in season. So that's the righteous. Contrast that, though, with the image he gives us of the wicked, the unrighteous. Verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Uh, if you're wondering what chaff is, it's the dry outer husk of corn or really any other seed uh, that is often separated by the process of winnowing. And so it's a bit of a grainy picture, but I, I put it there just to help you. Ha ha, put on ting. That was good, good. Grainy, get it? Thank you. Charlie, mate, you were onto that quick. <laughs> anyway, thanks for that. Don't know where I was. Uh, so winnowing. Winnowing is the process of kind of sifting or, or separating the chaff from whatever the crop is that you're winnowing. And so uh, the chaff is picked up and blown away by the wind and the grain of the seed falls and remains behind. Uh, when I was uh, at Bible college and even a little bit after that, I used to roast my own coffee, very coffee snob kind of thing to do. But I used to love it, right? Because you used to get these green beans and then you'd put it in the coffee roast. It's kind of like a microwave and then with this cylinder that just goes around. And a little like popcorn, the, the beans would pop once or twice and then the outer shell would, like what becomes the husk, kind of cracks off. And then what used to be green, you sort of, you're left with what most of us know as coffee beans, which is kind of the brown little nugget inside. The problem was both the bean and the chaff, chaff remained inside the cylinder. Um, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage this, but I, particularly when I was living uh, in Zetland, stood on my fifth floor balcony with my cylinder shaking it off the edge, <laughs> hoping the wind would come through as the chaff blew down onto my neighbours. Now, uh, <laughs> probably wasn't the most neighbourly thing to do. And again, I... I wouldn't recommend it, uh, but it illustrates the point. Uh, in contrast to the steadfastness of the fruitful tree with deep roots, what's the chaff? Well, it just gets blown away. It's here one day, it's this dry outer husk that ultimately disappears. They're the two images that the psalmist wants to give us and help us to sort of picture these two kinds of people. The righteous, strong tree. The wicked, windblown chaff. Now, 
Uh, I think it is fair to say that the main point of the psalmist giving us those two images is so that we compare and contrast the two, noticing the differences between the wicked and the righteous. But just for a moment, I want to invite you to play with, to entertain for a little bit this image of the righteous tree. So suppose we ask the question, what kind of spiritual tree do you aspire to be? Is it a bonsai? I hope not, because they look pretty, but they're pretty small. Uh, Maybe it's like a maple tree. Maybe it's a eucalyptus tree. Maybe it's a pine tree. Maybe it's a big, strong oak tree. What kind of spiritual tree do you aspire to be? Part of the reason I ask it is because of something I'm going to read you in a moment. J.I. Packer, uh, he's the author of this book. He was an uh, English-born Canadian theologian, spent half of his life in Canada. Uh, But he had a particular fascination and love for the English Puritans. And so he he wrote a number of essays over the course of his life. He died in 2020, but the essays were compiled into this book. And I want to read to you from the introduction to the book. Now, I won't bring the quote up here. I'll just read it to you. It's a bit like story time with Tim. Um, (laughs) But it's a fairly long quote. So I've got a picture for you to sort of just uh, help you imagine it. It says, on a narrow strip of the northern California coastline grow the giant redwoods, the biggest living things on earth. Some are over 360 feet tall, that's 110 metres. Some trunks are more than 60 feet round, 18 metres. They do not have much foliage for their size. All their strength is in those huge trunks with foot-thick bark that rise sheer for almost half their height before branching out. Some have actually been burned, but are still alive and growing. Many hundreds of years old, over a thousand in some cases, the redwoods are, to use a much cheapened word in its old strict sense, awesome. They dwarf you, making you feel your smallness as scarcely anything else does. Now notice, he's going to make the connection to the Puritans. California's redwoods make me think of England's Puritans another breed of giants. Between 1550 and 1700, they too lived unfrilled lives in which, speaking spiritually, strong growth and resistance to fire and storm were what counted. As redwoods attract the eye because they overtop other trees, so the mature holiness and the seasoned fortitude of the great Puritan shine before us as a kind of beacon light overtopping the stature of the majority of Christians in most eras and certainly in this age. What kind of spiritual tree do you aspire to be? What kind of spiritual tree are you? Packer says that when it comes to the Puritans, they were giants. They had this unfrilled life with strong growth and resistance to fire, a mature holiness, a seasoned fortitude that shines before us like a beacon of light. I don't know about you, but... In terms of aspiring to something, that's what I aspire to. Certainly when you compare that kind of thing with the image of the chaff, right, the chaff, it's here one day, it's gone the next. It's this weak, dry outer husk that's blown away by the wind. The redwood, those things withstand fire. (laughs) Some of them have been here for over a thousand years. Oh, to be a spiritual redwood or at least just some strong, steadfast tree for the Lord. 
All of which raises the question, all right, well, how do you do it? How does one go about becoming a spiritual redwood? Well, uh, Packer in the book uh, goes on to suggest that a large part of it had to do with the Puritan approach to the Scriptures. And I'll read you kind of a quote from one of their sermons a little later just to illustrate it. But Psalm 1 tells us the exact same thing. So I want to show it to you from Psalm 1 before we hear from another Puritan. Uh, So come with me back to uh, verses 1 and 3. And I just want you to notice the connection that the author makes between the tree and what's come before it. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. So let's ask the question, where is the righteous tree planted? Where's the righteous person planted? Well, it's by streams of water. But, but what do the streams of water correspond to? What are they kind of represented by in what comes earlier? Well, clearly, it, it's not the counsel of the wicked. No, they don't walk there. Uh, it's not the way of sinners. You know, they're not standing there. Certainly not the company of the mockers. They're not sitting there. Right? That's not where they put their roots down. That's not where they plant themselves. Now, the righteous person, says Psalm 1, plants themselves, puts their roots down in the Word of God, the law of the Lord. They delight in it. They meditate on it day and night. And so, in the same way that a stream would nourish and enable a tree to bear fruit and prosper, so the Scriptures nourish those who plant themselves in it enabling them to bear fruit and righteousness. But at the end of the day, I think Packer's right. That is why the Puritans were such giants. They planted themselves in the Word of God. They meditated on it. And that's what they encouraged their congregations to do as well. So let me just illustrate this again. This is kind of part two of Storytime with Tim. Uh, But I'll bring it up because it's a fairly lengthy quote. It's going to go over two screens, screens, but just sort of, you know, relax in. We've got time. Um, and it's a bit old school English, but I think we'll, we'll make it work. So this is Thomas Goodwin, one Puritan, recounting the sermon of another uh, Puritan by the name of John Rogers. And he says this, In that sermon, John Rogers, he falls into an expostulation with the people about their neglect of the Bible. He personates, or we might say impersonates, God to the people, telling them, well... I've trusted you so long with my Bible, you've slighted it. It lies in such and such houses, all covered with dust and cobwebs. You care not to listen to it. Do you use my Bible so? Well, you shall have my Bible no longer. He takes up the Bible from his cushion and seemed as if he were going away with it. But then he goes on. But immediately... He turns again and impersonates the people to God, falls down on his knees, cries and pleads most earnestly, Lord, whatever thou dost to us, take not thy Bible from us. Kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods, only spare us thy Bible, only take not away thy Bible. And then he impersonates God again to the people. Say you so? Well, I'll try you a little longer. And here is my Bible for you. I will see how you will use it, whether you will love it more, observe it more, practice it more, and live more according to it. 
Now, I'll spare you the theatrics, but it's worth asking yourself a couple questions off the back of it, isn't it? Like, to begin with, is it possible that God might be justified in taking his Bible from you? Yeah, like them, does your Bible sit somewhere on a shelf getting cobwebs? Or do you dust it off and devour it? Do you, do you read it? And suppose that God t did, let's use the word, threaten to take his Bible away from you. How might you respond? Because in some ways, I, I do think our response to that proposition maybe helps reveal our approach towards it. I mean, look at Rogers, kill our children, <laughs> burn our houses, destroy our goods, only take not our Bibles. Now, I suspect there's a bit of, you know, rhetorical flair in there. But at the very least, it's a picture of someone who is delighting in the law of the Lord. And therefore, I think it is a picture of someone who's well on their way to becoming a spiritual redwood. So, there's just a little brief exploration. I said I wasn't going to cover all the verses. We haven't. But I did just want to present before us the two images of the two kinds of people, and particularly the way that the righteous relate to the Word of God. And so you've got the steadfast tree, the wind-blown chaff. And who are the steadfast trees? Those who plant themselves in the Word of God, delighting in it and meditating on it day and night. That's the first thing I wanted to do with you. Second thing I want to do in the time we have left is just see if we can double tap on that idea contained in verse 2. Because maybe you're sitting there going, all right, Tim, like you've told me that I, 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 I should delight in it, but I'm still not 100% sure why I would delight in it. Like, okay, yeah, I'll become a tree, cool. But like, what is it about, what is it about the word that I ought to delight in and that ought to elicit this response of kind of meditation? What is it about the word? See if you can hold on to that question, because I think we're going to try and answer it with two new images, two new metaphors. It's a morning of metaphors, but I think they're helpful. The first one is the image of gold, particularly as it relates to the Scriptures. So the psalmist, they love comparing the Bible to gold and saying how precious it is. So take a look. I'll take you to two examples. There's lots of them there. Psalm 19. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Uh, second example, Psalm 119 this time. The law from your mouth, again, it's, it's not talking about exclusively the specific commands. It's God's word, the scriptures, is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Right, according to the psalmist, God's word is precious more precious even than silver and gold. Now again, you're sitting there going, okay, Tim, you just told me the same thing. You're telling me it is precious, you haven't told me why. Why? What, what is it about this thing that is so precious? I think we're going to find the answer in Proverbs 2. We'll read five verses. It'll come at the end, just to give the surprise away. The scriptures are precious because in them we find the knowledge of God. The scriptures are precious because in them we find the knowledge of God. But as we notice, as we read through, notice the new image, the new metaphor that the, proverb, the author of the Proverbs starts to play with. This is my son. I guess it's maybe a simile. My son, if you accept my words 
and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, listen to this, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Lots in there. I just want you to notice kind of the image that he's building. Reading the scriptures is a bit like going on a treasure hunt. It's a bit like searching for scripture, sorry, searching for treasure. What's more, the treasure that you are seeking, the gold, the precious thing that you are seeking when you search them is the knowledge of God. And so the father tells the son, dig, search, call out, cry aloud, do whatever you need to do to find God because that is the most precious thing anyone could lay claim to. Now, if we come back to Psalm 1 for a moment, I do think these two images just help us to, to understand why the righteous person may choose to meditate on God's word day and night. Think it through, why would they mull it over? Why would they meditate on it, read it, read it again, read it again and again and again, repeat it to themselves day and night? Well, it's precious. It's how we find God. And so therefore, I, I can think of at least three reasons that someone might meditate on God's word. Not exhaustive, but I'll give you three. Number one, maybe it's because as they've read... It's not so much that they've struck gold, but they've struck God, if I can use that language. Right? They've found him in the scriptures, and in particular, some truth about him that it reveals. And so in the same way that you might pick up like a little nugget of gold and hold it up to the light and see the, the dazzling beauty of the, light, of the nugget in the light, so you hold up this passage of scripture and notice afresh all the different ways it reflects the glory of the God that you worship. Uh, I had a this kind of an experience, particularly uh, in the early days of COVID. I don't know if you remember, everyone uh, responded to COVID differently. I found it super stressful, particularly as, you know, going online and all, all that sort of stuff. But the first talk that I gave as we went into lockdown was on Psalm 46. And then that, that Psalm stuck with me for the next few weeks as I meditated on it day and night. Now, our God... Well, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Uh, that was precious to me in those early days of COVID. I just, I just need to keep reminding myself I'm not going to fear. This is the first reason you might meditate on it, just to gaze on the beauty. Second uh, reason you might meditate on God's word and read it day and night is because you want to know more of God. We we'll discover more of who he is. Uh, in his book, uh, True Devotion, Alan Chapel, he writes this, We are rich indeed, because everything that we can have now, by way of knowledge of God, has been given us in the Bible. It is there for us to make it our own, growing in understanding by persistent appropriation. Right, the Bible is an absolute treasure chest. And so if you want to know God, go digging. Make it a regular habit of reading your Bible. Uh, on New Year's Eve, four weeks ago, uh, I preached on Psalm 19. Some of you might have been there. 
Psalm 19 is a meditation on uh, what some theologians have called God's two books, you know, uh, the skies and the scriptures. But what I said that day is that of all the available books that you might read this year, if there is one book in 2024 that you want to keep close to your heart, make it this one. Now, I don't know uh, if you set yourself a goal for this year in terms of Bible reading. Some of you probably have. How are you going if you did? How are you going with that ambition to be regularly in the Word? I've done it in the past. I regularly fall off pretty early on. That's okay. We all do it. If you did, why not jump back on? Today's as good a day as any to make it your ambition, your desire to be regularly in God's Word. Uh, this year... By the grace of God, I'm going strong. Uh, I set myself a goal of reading three chapters a day this year. That's pretty much what I'll need to read the whole Bible in a year. And so again, going strong so far. Now, now the truth be told, sometimes as I read these passages, I feel a bit like I'm just digging in the dirt. Like, where's the goal? I'm sure it's here somewhere, but I'm just digging around in the dirt. But sometimes, truth be told, even in the last three or four weeks, I've struck gold found something precious, something new about God. And so I found uh, it a, a wonderful encouragement. Third and final reason that I'll share, not the third and final reason you would meditate, but just the third one I'll give you today, is that you do it because you're trying to dig up the treasure that you know is there, but you just haven't quite found yet. So imagine you have a, a treasure map of the Bible. I want to suggest that there would be X marks the spot on every single verse. Right? There is gold in them, thy hills. It's just a matter of finding it. And so, uh, uh, John Robinson, he's a pastor from the 16th century, he once told uh, the group before him, I am verily persuaded that the Lord has more truth yet to break forth out of his holy word. I beseech you that you be ready to receive whatever truth shall be made known to you from the written word of God. I love that. I am verily persuaded that the Lord has more truth yet to break forth out of his holy word. I think of that quote often, uh, particularly when I'm preaching that week. Uh, sometimes I will spend hours, honestly hours, early on in the week digging around. I feel like I'm just playing in the dirt. <laughs> Like maybe I get a fleck of dirt, like a flake of gold, sorry, but I'm like, God, I, the people need something more than this. Um, but often, more, more often than not, after hours of meditation, sometimes, you know, I, like I'm thinking about it all week in the surf, in the shower, on the way to work, at night as I'm stressing out in bed going, I've got to have something for Sunday. Um, God in his mercy leads me to the gold and I've got something to share with people. I say all that, but it is important just to, to stress that you don't have to be a pastor to uncover the riches of God's Word. Actually, often you just need patience. That's really what the whole exercise forces me to do. Go back to it. Try it again. Keep looking. Uh, you just need patience and you know, know how to read properly. Uh, just to illustrate this, I'll uh, tell you a story from a kind of a different world. Uh, there's a guy named Louis Agassiz. Uh, he was the founder of the Harvard Museum of Comparative Zoology. Now, one of his students, a guy named Samuel Scudder, once wrote about how this other guy, Agassiz, really taught him and was foundational in helping him learn how to look properly. 
And so the story goes that Agassiz gave Scudder a fish to look at. So Museum uh, of Zoology. So here's a fish, and I want you to go away and don't come back until you've seen everything there is to know about this fish. So Scudder says he goes away. Oh, sorry. And the rule is you can only use your senses, right? No magnifying glass, no like books that tell you about the fish. Just what do you observe? Scudder says he comes back after 10 minutes. He's like, oh, i got some good stuff. And Agassiz says, no, 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 I'm not having a bar of that. Go back. So he goes away. And he would keep coming back, you know, more time, keep coming back. And, and Agassiz would say, good, but there's still more. Keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. As the story goes, Scudder says, Agassiz wasn't content until three days went by. And then, all right, now I think you've exhausted all there is to know about the fish. Now, how's that relevant? Well, I think it's fair to say there are different ways of reading the Bible. And they're appropriate for different exercises at different times. So, for example, I read my three chapters a day in quite a different way to which I might read the Bible if and when I'm preparing to preach. But I do wonder if God might sometimes look at our Bible reading, even just our devotions, and say, you tried to give it back after 10 minutes? You serious? Yeah, it's good, but th there's so much more in there. Go back and look, look, look. You're leaving treasure. As if maybe uh, we ought to adopt as our own motto, let us be verily persuaded that the Lord has more truth yet to break forth out of his holy word. Now, Grace City, uh, some of you will already have your own practice, your own plans for reading the Bible this year. If that's you, stick with that. Uh, whatever is working for you is good. But if you're hearing today, you know what I'm talking about, and you're like, is there something you'd suggest? Where should I start? Let me encourage you actually this week to contemplate, to spend some time meditating on the book of Judges, and in particular chapters 1 and 2. Why do I say that? Well, truth be told, this week you might just feel like you're playing in the dirt. Maybe you'll uncover a couple of things, maybe a couple of nuggets. But next week, uh, we're going to start a new sermon series on the book of Judges, and so you do the work this week, and then together I'll be preaching on Judges 1 and 2 next week, and we can figure out where is the gold, and hopefully the Lord's generous to me, and we've got something to talk about next week. Um, while we're on the topic of uh, these kinds of things, can I also encourage you what Shell said earlier. Um, sign up for community groups if you haven't done so already. Our community groups are just a great place where we, we do this together, speaking God's Word to one another, digging up the Scriptures together. A couple of years back, my group kind of came up with a name for our WhatsApp chat of our Bible study, our community group. It was the Gold Diggers. Um, <laughs> now, we didn't really publicize that too widely for obvious reasons, but uh, hopefully you get the point. Let me close up. Psalm 1, what does it do? Well, it, it kind of gives us two kinds of people, doesn't it? You know, have the steadfast tree of the righteous and the windblown chap of the wicked. At the end of the day, the lesson is only those who plant themselves in the Scriptures end up as steadfast trees that withstand the test of time. But I suppose before I sit down, I just want to offer us a warning, uh, particularly if you are here, a little like me, and you're a bookish type, by which I mean you can think of nothing better than sitting down with the Bible and kind of just reading it morning and evening. I say that because... You can read the Scriptures day and night for the rest of your life and still end up like windblown chaff. Why do I say that? Well, think of the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day 
And if there was ever a group that devoted themselves to the Bible and meditated on it day and night, it was them. And yet Jesus said that for all their devotion, they never struck gold. Instead, he actually reserved some of his fiercest condemnation for them and warned them of the impending destruction. Why? Well, look at Jesus' words to them in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures. You're looking for gold. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, let that be a warning. If we search the scriptures all our life, meditate on it all the time, but never actually find Christ and then come to Christ to find life, you are no better than windblown chaff doomed for destruction. So, if you're coming to this fairly new and you haven't yet found Christ, or maybe you've been reading the scriptures for years, but I'm just still not sure if really struck the gold of knowing Christ, then let me encourage you to get along to explore. You heard earlier it starts in two weeks' time. That would be a wonderful next step just to dig deeper into these things. If you do know Christ, you're found in Christ, you trust in Christ, then why not plant yourself in His Word? Put your roots deep so that you might be nourished by God's Word and grow up and up and up and up, ultimately into Christ, who is the true spiritual redwood. Why don't you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We repent of the times that so often we do not treasure it or value it and see it for how precious it truly is. So would today just be a an encouragement that is used by you to get us more deep into your word this year. Help us to delight in it. Help us to meditate on it. And might you use uh, this devotion to grow us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, that true spiritual redwood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.